Streaker. X-Rock 80, El Paso. KLIF trucking through traffic at a 524 mark. KNOW with more summer fun than anyone. Plus Radio, 93KHJ. Well, we're back. Terry and Jim with episode 21 of Radio. What happened? That's right. He's Terry Bettis, and I'm Jim Christofferson, and this is part two of our interview with Stan Webb. He's such a fascinating guy, one of just seven people in the country handpicked by Gordon McClendon that Mr. McClendon called the Magnificent Seven. Seven guys who learned radio management from Gordon himself. And as we learned last week, more than 5,000 people applied for that job, and Stan was one of the chosen few. He said he's one of the luckiest guys in the world to have enjoyed the type of career that he's had. But as you heard him talk in our last program, he's also very intelligent and an excellent communicator. And I believe that he has earned all of the accolades that he's received. Part two of the interview will cover the years after he left McClendon and was recruited to work for another radio legend, Lowry Mays. Stan will explain how Clear Channel Communications was formed and how it revolutionized radio as we know it today. Absolutely. Clear Channel was way ahead of the deregulation of radio, which was actually approved by Congress back in 1996. Stan Webb was there from day one. And we'll have all of that and more. But first, here's a word from our commercial announcer this week, Mop and Bake. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Mop and Bake, the exciting new floor polish that will make your floor shine two different ways, regular and extra crispy. (laughs) That guy's mind. It's incredible. Wild and crazy guy, Gary Owens. Now, let's pick up with part two of our interview with the great Stan Webb. Or in the summer of 68, I arrived uh, in San Antonio. Started out as a sales guy at uh, KONO AM Top 40 station. And the FM was K-I-T-Y, which at, at that time was a kind of a middle-of-the-road format radio station. So started out as a sales guy, then was made the sales manager of the FM station, and then sales manager of both the stations, and then finally general manager of both the stations. K-O-N-O was in a legendary battle with uh, a former McClendon station, KTSA. Uh, that battle had gone on for years and years. I spent a little over six years with Jack Roth, who owned those radio stations. And his company was called Mission Broadcasting. They had stations in San Antonio, Denver, Miami, and Charlotte. Did so, I read, did I see that you then worked at WOAI? If we're ready to start talking about that one, I get a phone call out of nowhere from John Barker. And uh, John had been the legal counsel for Gordon McClendon. So Johnny calls me and says, hey, let's have lunch. So I meet him for lunch at a Denny's, as I recall. And so we down there. So right out of the blue, Johnny starts recruiting me to be the sales manager for him at WAI. The new group was going to buy WAI, led by an investment banker guy named Lowry Mays and an infamous car dealer in the San Antonio area named Red McCombs. 
and a home builder. So they, those guys had all ponied up some cash and had bought this radio station, which they took forever to close on. But anyway, they're finally closing on it. And I told, you know, Johnny kind of lines out a compensation plan on a, on a cloth napkin there in the Denny's while we were chatting about it. I told him I would think about it because things were happening over there at the other station that were not the best. And so when I get back to the station, he calls me and he says, hey, come over to the radio station. I'd like you to meet one of the owners. He wants to meet you. Okay. So I showed up over there after work. I walk in and says, Stan, this is Lowry Mays. Okay. Hey. And uh, so we sat down and he, he first question he asked me is he says, in his best Texas drawl, well, how come you didn't come apply for a job over here with us? You know, one of those kind of a questions. And uh, so we sit down and we talk and he wants to, he's trying to close me. And uh, finally I said, look, I'll, I'll think, I'll let you guys know something tomorrow. I'll think, I won't think about it. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. In the morning, we're entertaining the top advertisers and business people in the city of San Antonio. You come down and uh, you can be backstage. Not Nobody will see you. You can kind of see how we operate. Well, I go to the St. Anthony Hotel that morning and they had a packed house. You know, 300 of the top people are there. And so they're all having uh, breakfast and Lowry gets up to start talking and welcoming them and introducing Red and John Schaefer, who the other principal in it. And then he says, you know, here's what we're going to do. and uh, We're going to do a news talk format. Well, there was no such thing, really. Uh, we've got, we've hired John Barger from KRLD and Dallas is going to lead the, the charge as the, um, as a general manager, John stand up here. He is over here. And he says, and we're, we're really happy to announce our sales manager, Stan Webb. Stan's back here at Stan. Where are you? Come on out here. Well, so by the time I'd gotten back to the uh, my office, my boss had found out about it. So my last day was that day at Kono Do you think you would have taken the job? You know, I'm not sure. It didn't look great, frankly. A WOEI had been a, are you familiar with a station? Oh, big, yes. It's a 50,000 watt original clear channel frequency. Um, and, but it had been a potpourri of formats for years, a lot of different changes and so forth. So the last thing I was in, I had been in a long battle there with KTSA. The last thing I want to do is get in another buildup. I'd, I'd like to get on easy street and I'd had a job offer from a station in Denver. I was thinking about, but, but anyway, the, you know, I kind of, these guys had some cojones. And so, uh, so I said, well, Cal, you know, I'm going to take this gig, but I've already got airline tickets to, Montana. I'm going to take my little family. We're going to go up for a vacation. And so I went away for 10 days and came back. And that was the beginning at Clear Channel. It all, the day they closed on the station was the first day of Clear Channel. So, man, Larry Mays, Gordon McClendon, you've worked with some extraordinary people in this business, too. I, again, I'm a lucky, lucky guy. The Clear Channel thing, you know, no one could have ever predicted what would that company would become. Right. Well, whose who's vision was that as radio was beginning to enter the, the reformation period, the deregulation period? Who had the presence of mind to know that 
at that time, I think most of the industry was going bankrupt. You know, nine, nine, ten stations in the market, eight of them would be would be on hard times. But who had the who had the vision to say, let's combine all these stations? You got to give it the credit to Lowry. He deserves the credit, the vision, and uh, to he, he truly is the epitome of the bull in the china closet. And Lowry's a very smart guy. He, you know, he's a his education was a uh, was a, a chemical engineer at Texas A&M. And he became a somewhat of a boy wonder a financial guy that you know, put together a lot of financing on, when he took Clear Channel public in 1984, it raised a few million bucks, not a lot of money in today's business. I think it was like seven, eight million dollars, something like that, not a lot of money. And then he didn't do anything with it. He started getting off in the television business uh, these UHFs started happening, and the Fox Network was beginning. Lowry started to buy UHF television stations that were that became Fox Network affiliates. So the radio side of the business had kind of lumbered along there, as operating in these little small markets like, well, San Antonio was not, but San Antonio, Beaumont, Port Arthur, El Paso, Tulsa. And so we had really got things to Jenning at WAI. Again, I'm a very lucky guy. That station, we never really got ratings with it, but it became the top biller in the market in less than a year's time. Um, we were on fire. So things were going great. And it, that kind of that cash flow allowed Lowry to kind of expand off into some things. One of them was when he bought WHAS in Louisville and WAMZ FM. Those were two powerhouse stations that just dominated Louisville in ratings and revenue. So those pieces, when they fit those into the company, man, it just gave us that oomph that, that the company needed on the radio side. So in the summer of 95, I, I was back and I was running the Austin stations and the San Antonio stations were under my little umbrella. And Lowry wanders into my office one morning, kind of unannounced, and said that we're chatting there, you know. And he's all of a sudden says, hey, if we were to pick somebody to run the radio group, who would be some names that you would suggest? I mean, that came right out of the blue. And I didn't know how to answer that. I kind of mumbled and stumbled around and trying to think, who, yeah, is this a test? What, you know? And he said, and he starts laughing and he goes, it's you. So I went from having no knowledge that he was thinking about something like that to here's what we're going to do. It was then he laid out, here's what's getting ready to happen. Deregulation, we believe, because Lowry was very involved at the NAB. And Larry was a fabulous arm twister, and he knew how to go lobby in Washington. I think that Larry Mays was more the most important cog in the railroad of deregulation. He really was the leader of that. Eddie Fritz at the NAB and Larry were big buddies, and uh, and and Eddie was very wired into Washington. Then we acquired a, a, a little group. Um, uh, Metro Media, which was then Tampa, Miami, Cleveland, and then the deregulation thing occurred. I think that was, I think that was February of 
96, I believe. Well, so Lowry calls me the week and he says, I think it's going to come down here pretty quick. And so I want you to be somewhere in the Midwest. So I think I was in Louisville, actually. And uh, so I got a call that morning. And before lunchtime, they had bought, I don't know, I think it was three different groups, which was something like a dozen radio stations. It was just instantly. So my job was to get on an airplane, go to the market. Hey, welcome to Clear Channel. Blah, 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 blah. We don't know how this is all going to shake out, but here's here's how we're going to do this. Answer their questions. And so you remember what a frenzy it became because it was us and CBS and, and the Gimulus and uh, the Hicks boys. And I mean, there was some there were some players out there. And there was nobody more prepared than us. It was just crazy that particularly the first six months, I think by the summer, we had tripled in size. We had, we were somewhere around 400 radio stations by then, something like that. And there were three of us running the group by that time, me, Peter Ferrara and George Sauson. We kind of split up the country by zip codes and time zones and, uh, (laughs) Uh, that was, it was pretty sophisticated, right? Then came the J-Core merger. It took a little bit to get that thing in. Those two companies kind of come in and we kind of come together and Mark wanted them to run parallel. We were going to, we were running our side, the clear channel side and Randy was running the the J-Core side because what I didn't know, we'd later find out though, is that the AMFM deal was looming just around the corner. Then they announced that. And as you recall, the AMFM consolidation was a, an amalgamation of a bunch of different companies uh, that were huge markets. I mean, it, it put us into Los Angeles and New York and yada, yada, yada. So um, it was going to be a big, big deal. Well, and so you can imagine the egos in the room when we have the three different entities together for the first management meeting. Ser- there was some serious air in the room. You know, somebody was going to have to run it. Mark Mays had the title as president, but I just knew somebody was going to end up running that and answering to Mark. So Mark announced in January, as I recall, of 2000, that Randy would run the Consolidated Radio Group. Well, Randy and I were oil and water, and uh, that was just not going to work for me. So maybe a week or so, I went home and talked to my wife, and I said, you know, this has got to be about the end of the tracks for me. I kind of told you guys that I was a survivor of a triple bypass back in the early 90s, and so I've been going hard for six years, and um, I just thought, you know, you know, I made a couple of bucks. And so now's the opportunity for me to go do something I want to do. And I went down and told Larry, well, he just couldn't understand it. He just couldn't understand why I would give up such a great position. And I, I said, no, this is, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go do something for me. And so I agreed to stay on for, I think it was five or six months, something like that to finish that consolidation. Uh, in the meantime, my wife had come up here and we had bought this property here in Kennebunkport, Maine. And so I had a project to go to, you know. So that was the end. It was about uh, July of 2000. 2001, yeah. you were named Broadcaster of the Year in Texas. Well, again, I, 
you know, I guess given the fact I was going out and had been very involved in the TAB, I'd been the president of the Texas Association of Broadcasters back in the 90s. And so that was a a very nice honor. Um, Ann Arnold was running the TAB at the time. So it was a terrific honor um, to have that. And um, at the same time, I might add, I was named in the Cisco, Texas Hall of Fame. You're there with Conrad Hilton. And Dash Cross. Well, again, we could go on and on and on and on. As many of our guests enjoyed this, don't know why, but they, they come back a second time. We'd love to have you do that. But we always ask, where do you see radio going? I know you've been out of it for a while, but good God, you were, you were there from the very beginning of what we're talking about, the golden age of radio. I can't imagine trying to, to be in that uh, convoluted environment today of the digital competition that's there. And um, so I don't know. I, from what little I hear, I mean, the radio audiences remain somewhat constant, don't they? Yeah. The biggest challenge is developing revenue. It seems to me like they're going to have to come up and be very creative in their selling. Much like, as I told you, the most successful show on my first little radio station was the Polka Hour. And I learned a big lesson there. It's not about the ratings. It's about the content. And um, if you can sell the content, the, the advertisers will come. And I think radio's got to get back to the back to a basics thinking, and not and you know because they're not going to be able to compete with all that stuff over there, head to head. I don't think so. They've got to sell their string, uh, which has always been the mobile aspect of it. Do you Thanks. miss? Do you miss radio? I do. I miss the day to day being a general manager of a radio station. That was fun because it's a fun, creative business. Well, um, yeah, we'd love to bring you back. Terry, anything else on your end? There's just so many things that happened in your life that coincides or uh, is similar to some of the things in Gemini's uh, life. And we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us. Gosh, thanks a lot. I'm, I'm really honored you can remember my name and uh, I appreciate that. That concludes our part two interview with Stan Webb. And I got to say, Jim, thanks for setting that up. That was fabulous. Well, we want to thank one of our earlier guests, too, John Fletcher, whose dad was the manager and owner of some stations in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And and uh, and John Bargainer, who who uh, you heard Stan reference, too. John was also the guy that hired Stan. And that's where Clear Channel Communications was formed, which ultimately became iHeart Media Group. We've had a lot of downloads for part one, and uh, we're assuming all of those people are looking forward to part two, and uh, we hope you enjoyed. But this week, we're also going to go back to our music montage contest. Uh I've got another one. You said the last one was too hard. Well, you know, again, I've been in radio. I think Marconi hired me, for goodness sake. But yeah, that last one, I, I still think that Chicago tune that you picked was a little obscure, but again, you you know music much better than I do. But yes, let's make it so uh, so folks can hop onto this and and, and really uh, really get a couple of winners. This week. I, I can't make it too easy. But here's our music montage number three.
song I just wrote yesterday Picking up the pieces of my sweet shattered dream So if you think you know those 10 songs, email us at radiowhathappened at gmail.com. And Stephen Bailey, give a couple of days before you send in all the answers. We know you're going to know them, but let somebody else win this time. Let's see how uh, astute our audience is on music from the 70s. But that's uh, that's about it, Jim. You're a tough guy. You're tough. All right. That's it. Episode 21. Terry, how do people get in touch with us? Radio what happened at gmail.com. That's a quick email to radio what happened at gmail.com. You can go to the website also at radio what happened.com. Also, uh, Jim, I believe you've been putting posts on our Facebook page. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, I, uh, I hope people check out the Facebook page. We, we try to add something to it every so often, at least three times a week or so, but it's fun to write those things too. So join us again in our next program when Terry and I ask the question, Radio, what happened? The Sun City Streaker, X-Rock Trucking through traffic at a 524 mark. KNOW with more summer fun than anyone. Boss Radio 93 KHJ.